All right. How many people here would say uh, that you're competitive? How many like to win? How many are just happy with a participation medal? How many don't care and just want to have fun? <laughs> it just goes to show there's a lot more competitive people who want to uh, engage in things. <clears throat> so I want to imagine, uh, imagine today that you're about to uh, compete in an orienteering race. Who's ever done those before? All right, this one is slightly different to normal, uh, but in this case, same as always, you have a list of things you need to either collect or do to actually complete the race. Now this race is different in the sense that you don't win by coming first. You win by completing the race or completing the tasks that you have. And if you haven't guessed, my message title is Run the Race. Uh, now in this particular thing, you might have a list of things you need to do. Sometimes you'll need to actually come alongside somebody and help them achieve their tasks. Other times you'll need to go on your own and complete your tasks. You may come together, you may separate, there may be a group, you may be on your own. You could start the race halfway through compared to somebody else and still win because you're not judged on when you finish but how you finish. Like I said, you're not judged on when but how. If you held on to something or you didn't help somebody when you were required to, it may affect your final score. You could choose to miss doing a task just to get ahead, but again, that will affect your final results. The race isn't against people, it's a mission to complete your tasks. And like I said, even a latecomer could win. Now some of you are probably thinking, I reckon I could do pretty well in this race, particularly those who are competitive. But whether you realise it or not, the race has already begun. It's called life. The Christian life. Because God has a mission for you. Heaven is the finish line and God is the judge. Your personal mission for this race was particularly written, or specifically written, by him with you in mind. So John DeVries' race will be very different to my race. Tinica's race will be different to Michelle's race. Dennis's race will be different to Lyle's race. Everyone has their own race they need to run. And how you finish will determine the score at the end. There are times you may have to come alongside somebody there are times you might have to help people. There are times you might uh, engage in a mission together with somebody. And other times, like I said, you might separate. But we know when God has a plan, it's a good plan. Because Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. But they are his plans. Psalm 139, 16 says, you saw me before I was born Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. I love that that God has spent time planning your life. He spent time mapping out exactly what he has for you to do. Your mission is to run the race that God has for you to run. 
It was planned before you were born. It started the day you were born. And it will end on the day you stand before your Father in heaven. And you will stand before your Father in heaven. Like I said, you can always engage at the level you want to in the the race of life, in God's race for you. But your full reward will be determined by how you finish. And uh, John, uh, sorry, 2 John 1.8 says, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Now, if God has a full reward, kind of stands to reason that he also has a partial reward. Who wants their full reward? Who's satisfied with a half reward or a quarter reward? So in order to get your full reward, you're going to have to run the race God wants you and you're going to have to run it God's way. Some people have in mind... Some people have in mind that they don't need to run God's race, that they can just get on with life, that their, their salvation is enough. They're going to heaven, they're happy. I don't need to do any more because I'm saved. Some people say, well, we're judged by our heart condition. We enter heaven not because of our works, but because of salvation in Jesus Christ. In his book, Driven by Eternity, John Bevere says, what we do with the cross determines where we spend eternity, The way we live as believers determines how we spend eternity. And so many people think, but I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, that's all that matters. But the Bible's very clear that we will be judged for the work we do on earth. The Apostle Paul in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10 says, whether we are here in body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Here Paul is talking to Christian believers. He's not talking to the unsaved. He's not saying, well, unsaved, you're going to be judged. He's talking to Christian believers. He says we should be living our lives to please him. And we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We won't be judged for our sins because 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But as Christians, if we choose not to repent of our sins, the Bible says God can't forgive us. I was talking to somebody this week and I said, if you won't forgive, because we often blame, uh, blame others or circumstances, we say, but I can't forgive. But God says, if you won't forgive, I can't forgive forgive you. So forgiveness of our sins is all hinged on on us being able to forgive others. And Jesus says that in the Lord's Prayer. And when people often hear the word judgment, they check out. Because judgment also indicates condemnation. And uh, Romans 8.1 says, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So it's easy for us to think, well there's no condemnation, therefore we don't have to worry about judgment. But we actually do, because the Bible talks quite clear and as we see in this verse uh, verse 10 we must all stand before God to be judged we will each receive what we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body and some people might say well I'll get to heaven and I'll say well I just didn't know that and God's covered that one as well Proverbs 24 12 don't excuse yourself by saying look we didn't know for God understands all hearts and he sees you He who guards your soul knows you knew. He will repay all people as their actions deserve. And we look at this and go, oh, 
Now, he's covered all this, but over and over and over again in the Bible, he talks about judging us according to our deeds. So we need to be saying, God, what is it you want me to do? How can I live my life to please you? What is the race that you have for me to run? Don't be satisfied with just getting to heaven. Be satisfied with giving God your ultimate best so that you receive your full reward. The race you run has been written by God and for God. So I want to look at a few competitors, compare a couple of uh, missions, so to speak. Pastor Bernie's race began back in 1944. He was raised by a God-fearing father and mother. And I was thinking on this, that even being raised by a God-fearing father and mother is part of their mission. Their mission was to raise a family who feared God, who knew God, who loved God. And had they chosen to live uh, a different life, to refuse to participate in the mission that God had for them, both Bernie and Fred would have grown up with a very different foundation and would be in a very different place today. So the fact that they honoured the mission that God had for them, and that's only one of many missions, we see what we have before us. One of Bernie's missions was to become a baker. You might think, why did God have him baking bread? But there were business principles Bernie learnt when he was quite young. One of the missions God had was for him to become an abalone diver. There he developed some of those business skills, but not just developed business skills. There's a whole lot of things that he learnt, but one of the things he learnt was how to raise money, how to become wealthy. Why? Because that too was part of God's next mission for him. So everything you're going through, whether you have loads of money, whether you're going through struggles and trials, whether you're uh, responsible for looking after people, God, how does this fit in to my mission for you? What do you want me to do with what's in my hand? And come to that place where you're really pursuing God and saying, God, I'm open to whatever you say. And the best prayer you can pray is, God, what do you want to say to me today? How do you want to use me today? And if God says, I want you to give away this much money or I want you to, uh, to come along and mow this person's lawn or I want you to take this person to the doctor or whatever it is, know that it's part of a mission that God has you on. And it's something amazing because his plans are always good. We look at the different stages of our lives as things that we do but like I said, God says, I know the plans I have for you. And all the things that you do are part of what God wants you to be doing for him. And our mission is simply a single thread that just weaves through this incredibly detailed tapestry. I was looking at some tapestries the other day, just, um, just online, seeing some incredible artwork that is designed over the years, particularly stuff that's really, really old. But if you're in the middle of weaving this, you'd see a lot of strands of string and you go, I just don't see what there is. And one strand may not mean a whole lot to you, but to the artist, it could be something incredibly detailed. And the strand of your life is something that God says, I want to weave together in an incredible tapestry. But if you refuse to allow him to weave you, the tapestry might have a hole in it. It might be something that doesn't look what it should look. Colossians 1.16 says, we were made by God and for God. My mission was different. My mission started in 1969, making me 53 years old, in case you want to 
stretch your brain and calculate that out. One of my first missions was to be raised in a Christian family with brothers, learn how to get along with people. But I also learnt about God, I learnt commitment to church life, I learnt what it was to serve, I learnt what it was to obey. All these were a foundation for what God had for me later in life. One of the tasks he had was for me to become an altar boy in the Catholic Church because that was the place I learnt service. I learnt obedience, I learnt to do what I was told. I learnt to think outside the box because if the priest needs something, I need to have it ready straight away. That was the place I learnt to hear God's voice. It was the place I heard God's voice for the first time. Another mission I had was partnering with my amazing wife and raising four incredible sons. Three I've got here today. We've expanded our family from just me growing up to now 11 of us. 11 people, each with an individual and very specifically designed mission written by God for them. Another mission I had was to to overcome limiting beliefs. I had to learn that I was capable of a lot more than I thought I was. My older brother's mission was to, uh, it required him to be sharp because he went out and he worked with churches across Australia. He, he trained people. He did all sorts of things. From a young age, his brain was, was incredible. So I would compare myself to him and say, well, if that's what a year 12 student looks like, and he then went on to university, his desire was to become a doctor, but he ended up becoming a teacher, and even that was part of God's plan. But his plan was different to my plan. But I looked at him and said, well, he's a student. He's studious. He's clever. He knows what he's doing. I don't match up to him, I'm not as clever as him, therefore I'm stupid. And I I grew up with this idea that I can't. And because I thought I can't, I chose that I wouldn't. And so time went on, I loved the outdoors, I loved doing a whole range of things. Uh, I became part of the fire brigade because I had a passion with car accidents and helping people. Not creating the accidents, but (laughs) helping them afterwards. And from there I wanted to get into the ambulance service and that was something that I really desired. I went to do the tests and I found out there was going to be over 2,000 people doing this and I thought, here's a guy who's stupid, wanting to get into something competing against 2,000 people who are obviously a lot smarter. Go back to my brother, part of his mission was to help me overcome this because the very guy that I compared myself to said, let's see how dumb you really are. Not that he, he didn't say that but... He actually took me through some tests. As a teacher, he was capable of running me through a whole series of tests. And uh, it came back and he said, who said you were stupid? I said, well, I don't compare. I had people say things over time that I'm not the same as you, so therefore, he goes, you got the IQ of 126. He said, that puts you just under a lawyer. He goes, go for it. You'll probably do well. And out of 2,000 people, I made the top 20. And God used that. I went back the second year. I didn't make it in, but I went back a second year and the same thing happened. I went back a third year and I very clearly heard God say, because they told me, we're not taking anybody this year. And I very clearly heard God say, I've shut the door twice, don't try a third time. I'm going, ah, it's your fault. (laughs) But I went, well, seeing as I'm smart enough, I'm going to Bible college. And God used that to send me down a path that I knew even as a kid that I'd be preaching one day, that I knew that there was a call of ministry on my life. That was the thing God told me in the Catholic Church when I was just an altar boy. So I went through and I did the study. Uh, I went down this journey of life 
And, uh, and since then, I've done multiple certificates. I've completed a graduate diploma in social science, and I was a valedictorian uh, at the graduation. Now, the final year, I was asked to do the valedictorian speech. The principal of the college, who'd been lecturing for, I think, 40 or 50 years, he said, you are the first person I have ever heard to do an altar call at a valedictorian speech. But I thought, why waste a good opportunity? Because I knew there was a lot of people there that weren't saved. See, I could have been disappointed with some of the things in my life that didn't happen the way I wanted them to. But as I look back, I see that God had a plan and a purpose, that God orchestrated some things, and that God wanted me to do certain things, but to do some of these things, I had to learn some things that were way back here. The fulfilment of my call to preach was many, 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 many years after I heard God say, one day you'll be on the other side of the book. The fulfilment of my call to, to pastor a church was many, many years later after what God told me. So don't look at things and say, but I'm not seeing a fulfilment of this, therefore God doesn't care. God might have some things you need to learn. And some of the things he wants you to go through uh, might be lessons you need to learn. You may not understand uh, what God has for you, but don't worry if you don't understand, just be obedient. Say, God, I'm going to stick this in the bank. I'm going to learn this for later on. I'm going to use this. Teach me in this. Show me what you want to learn in this. I want to be a vessel used for your glory. Romans 8.28 says, We know all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. How many of you believe that? How many of you have ever questioned God? Why is this happening to me? And yet we know that all things work together for good, but we still question it. But again, our prayer is, God, what do you want me to learn through this? How, how do you want me to respond to this? Because sometimes things happen just aren't fair. But God can teach us some incredible things through these lessons as we, as we follow and pursue him. Another mission in my race was to pastor this amazing church and, and to work with a whole bunch of people. But for this to happen... A connection had to be made with Bernie and Susie that took place back in the mid-1990s, long before we even came here. My brother moved down here. Many of you know Frank and married Bernie's daughter. And we came down to, to visit them and that's where we actually fell in love with Tasmania. And it wasn't until the year 2000 that God started speaking to us about stepping out into something new and moving down here. All the things God used through life, he used to prepare and to equip me for what he wants me to do. And my race is far from finished. Just because we're leaving today doesn't mean my race is over. And just because we're leaving today doesn't mean the church's race is over. Because my mission is my mission. And like I said earlier, there'll be times when you come together with people to achieve tasks. There'll be times you separate. There'll be times you might come together. There'll be times you separate. Bernie and I connected back in the mid-1990s. When we finally moved here, not only did we connect, we moved into the same house. We took over the house. We, we, <laughs> we removed them from the house. No, we, we bought the house off them. Uh, but we've done ministry together. We came here in 2001. That's 22 years we've been doing ministry together. The mission was individuals. We came together for a period of time. We will separate for a time because God still has a plan and a purpose. His plan's not finished. My plan's not finished. And this church's plan is not finished. So God had an intention to create this church and he brought Bernie in as part of the mission to do that. There'll be a time when Bernie leaves and this church will still be alive. 
Because this church is not Bernie. And if anybody looks at Bernie as the answer to everything, or when they think of this church, they think of Bernie, they're thinking wrong. If you think that, you're thinking wrong. You need to start thinking bigger, you need to start thinking further ahead, and you need to start thinking that if Bernie is here, and I've been here, and you're here, this is actually part of your mission. That God brought you here for a plan and a purpose. So for you to be worshipping in this church, he doesn't want you just to sit on a red seat every, every week and say, I'm done. Because your mission is far greater, and you will be judged on how you participate in your mission. So pray, God, how can you use me? Somebody said when we said we were leaving, that's going to leave a big hole. Well, it shouldn't, because you are the church. And I'm not the answer to the church. I've done a whole lot of things over time because I can, but now I'm leaving, Bernie's going to need help. Guess who the help is? You guys. You're all very quiet in this Pentecostal church. (laughs) Be willing to pursue God for the call that he has on your life. And, and some people often go, well, it's, it's really hard. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do. This is, the call is too big. Well, what God calls you to, he equips you for. And the Bible is very clear in that. And if we think of some of the heroes of the faith, you look at Moses. God had a plan and a purpose for Moses. And it started way back when he was a child. God prophesied that he would be the deliverer before he was even born. He was raised in Pharaoh's house And eventually he leaves and hides in the wilderness for for 40 years. And then God says, I need a deliverer, you're it. And he goes, ah, but um, but, 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 I have a stutter. And God says, don't care. And God used him. And Moses is thinking, how can I do this? Can you imagine him as a leader coming before Pharaoh saying, let God's people go? Pharaoh would have laughed him out. And he was really upset and nervous over this because he knew his limitations. But God did a work in him and he became one of the greatest leaders in the Bible. One of the greatest leaders of all time. Some of the complaints and whinging and whatever else he brought up, God said, I I don't care because I've still got a plan and a purpose for you. And you might have made excuses through your life going, but I can't, but it's too hard. I wouldn't know what to do. I'd feel nervous. I'd feel silly. God goes, I don't care. I still have a mission for you. You are enough. And what God has called you to, he will equip you for. So don't hold back saying I can't because God will equip you to do what he's asked you to do. Corey Turner says, if God's called you to something, no matter what fear in the flesh or pain in your past or reluctance that you may have, towards the call and the gift of God upon your life, you need to break out of that fear by the name of Jesus. You need to rise up into the anointing of the Spirit of God that is upon your life because God doesn't call you to something and leave out the grace that you need for that calling. If God has called you, know that he will equip you. And I can't say that strong enough. If God has called you, know that he will equip you. Romans 11.29 says the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. God's not going to take them back. So when he said to Moses, I need you to do this, and Moses goes, but I've got a stutter, God goes, don't care, that's the call I've got, and you're the man. You've got Jeremiah, who's one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. He comes up, God calls him, and he goes, but I'm too young. I don't know how to do this. God goes, don't care, you're the man. 
And he says to him, you need to learn to see what I see, not see what you see. So start dreaming. Start asking God, what is it you want me to do? Because God will equip you if he has called you. And if you're not sure, talk to Bernie and Susie. Talk to Don and Sally. Talk to Enika and Bart. Talk to different people within the church who've been around for a while. Ask them to pray with you. Ask them to come alongside you and help you. Ask for opportunities. Hey, I want a song lead. Can you sing? No, but God will equip me. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) It's possible. But you might have a gift of administration. There's a whole lot of admin stuff that needs to be done now that I'm gone. There's a big book for you to read if you're wired for that. But so many people in the Bible had a call and God equipped them. You look at King David. He was just a shepherd boy, the least of the least, and yet he became a king, graced with the the anointing of God to do what he had to do, one of the greatest kings. Esther, she was just an Israelite girl. She comes before the king, possibly to lose her life, but she does it in faith, trusting that God is part of this process. God graced her with what she needed to do, what she had to do. God will not let you down. If God has called you, he will equip you. Learn to really embrace that thought. Your fear is not enough. You need to step out and say, God, I will choose to obey. Because as you choose to obey, the results you have when you get to heaven are going to be good. Think about the Apostle Paul. His encounter on the road to Damascus, he became known as one of the greatest New Testament church leaders. He wrote over half the New Testament. He travelled extensively preaching the gospel wherever he went. That wasn't what he trained for. That wasn't his plan but God intervened, God graced him, God equipped him, and he was one of the greatest leaders of the New Testament. Scholars agree that he travelled over 16,000 kilometres on foot to preach the gospel. There was a cost. 2 Corinthians 11 from verse 23 to 28 says, he was in labours more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one, Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a day and a night I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, and fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for the churches." How's that for a job description? (laughs) These are all the things you can expect if you pursue a life of God. I'm not sure, God, if I want to follow through. Bad luck, you're the guy. And he followed through. And he could have said, Lord, I've had enough. I'm over the abuse. I'm over the stonings. I'm over swimming. I'm over being hungry all the time. He could have complained, but his focus was eternity. Philippians 3, 12 to 14 says, Not that I've already attained or that I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of for me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are beyond, behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul had one focus in mind. When I cross that finish line, that's what I'm looking for. 
I want you to imagine this rope. See this as a timeline. Now this is, I don't know, 10 metres long. This little spot here is about 70 years of life. It's representing 70 years. People look at this and they say, well, I'm born here, I go to school here, I do my apprenticeship here or uni, I start my first job. Everything I'm doing here is to equip me for this last part of life when I'm retired. Their focus is this. The problem is, we've got all this that we need to consider because for millions and millions and millions and millions of years, what you do here will determine all of this. How long is 70 years? Do you think 70 years is a long time? It used to, yeah. You can do a lot of things in 70 years. But I have this crazy thought this week. If this is 70 years, and I go back 70 years, and I go back 70 years, and this will help you understand how long eternity is, maybe, I go back 29 people, and I come to Jesus. Only 29 people. Let that sink in. Jesus lived his life and he set in place everything from here on. This has actually been measured out as a timeline. This is 1969 when I was born. If based on biblical uh, standards, the Bible says that God gives us 70 years, maybe 80. The average life is 72.35 years across the globe. So it fits in with the Bible numbers. 1969, if I happen to live to 72, it's here. This black line, if you can see it, is where I am now. I've got 19 millimetres left. Some of you have two. Some of you are on borrowed time. If Jesus set this in this little bit of time here, and this is me here, I've still got to factor in eternity. And it goes on and on. And I've only pulled the rope out a few times. Eternity just keeps going. The time we have from Jesus to us is very, very small. And like I said, you could look at this and people might say, you're a fool for doing that here because that's going to affect here. Well, whatever you do here is going to affect all this. So learn to pursue the call of God. Paul says, I live for this moment here. The moment of the upward call. The moment when God says, welcome. Well done, good and faithful servant. What's God going to say to you? What reward are you going to have in heaven? Because it's all determined by this little spot here. And for some of you, this tiny little spot here. And if you look at the average age of people in here, there's not a lot of time left for some of you to make a difference. So whatever time you have, whether it's 19 millimetres, whether it's one or two millimetres, trust God in this process. Say, God, I will give you what I have left. I will reach, I will step out and I will give you what I have left. I will do what you want me to do. I know I want to get to heaven and have my full reward, not a half reward. And you might look, I couldn't possibly do what you do. You're not called to do what I do. I'm not called to do what you do. John was a policeman for years. Some of the testimonies he's given have been incredible, the things that God has done in that time. 
But the mission that God has had him on and the mission that God still has for him to do is not my mission. Thank God. And if you all had the same mission as me, you'd all be very bored. Because it's not what God's called you to do. Ask God, what do you want me to do with what I have left in my life? How can I serve you? Like I said, Paul said, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call. Let eternity be your focus. Let eternity be your pursuit. If you think on those 70 years, you will live your life based on the 70 years. If you think eternity, you will live your life very different. C.S. Lewis once said, if you read history, you'll find that Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this one. That's a horrible thought, that the church is so ineffective. The church is a church without a voice. The church is a church without a muscle. The church is a lazy church. But that can change. And it all depends on you. In October last year, after a time of prayer and fasting and and seeking the Lord and uh, having counsel with various leaders, we felt our season here was finishing. And we said we'd stay through to the end of January to to help with the transition. But like I said, just because we're finishing here now doesn't mean the race is over. God has something else for us to do. And we'll be spending time saying, God, what is it you want? I don't know what he wants yet. The thing he did tell me last week was go slow. Really frustrating for me. (laughs) I'm the sort of guy who wants to jump in boots and all. The first week I was here, I was serving. But God said, go slow. Why? Because he wants to say something and I need to be ready to listen. And if I jump in, I'm going to miss it. I would encourage you to spend time saying, God, what is it you want from me? How can I live my life to honour you? I want to encourage you to keep thinking with eternity in mind. Like I said, if you focus on that 70 years, that's all you're going to have left. That'll be your focus. That'll be how you live. That'll be how you save. That'll be how you spend. That'll be how you holiday. That'll be everything. But think with eternity in mind. Say, God, show me a different perspective. Serve God with everything you have within him, whether it's in this church or outside. Your mission, like I said, the fact that you're here, God has a purpose for you here in this church. So ask God, what do you want me to do in this church? Because if you're in this church, God has a plan for you. If you're in another church, God still has a plan for you. Seek God, ask him, because what God has called you to, God will equip you for. We serve an incredible God, but we need to be willing to press in and and run towards the prize of the upward call. Think with eternity in mind. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for for your goodness, for your faithfulness, for the journey that you have us on, for your call for each one of us. Lord, we ask that you speak to us clearly as to the plans and purposes you have for us. Lord, in the last days, weeks, months, years that we have, show us what you want us to do. Lord, let our prayer every day be, God, what do you want me to do today? Help us to stay in your will. Help us to hear from you. Help us to see what you want. Lord, we surrender ourselves again to you because you are an incredible God. Your plans and your purposes for us are so, so good. 
And Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for all that you've done. And we just want to praise you and honour you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Bernie.